Hey everybody, I'm Jay Worthy and this is the podcast for anyone trying to inject some adventure, purpose and balance into their lives. 28 Summers is all about living life adventurously, seizing the moment and optimising your life. Now my guest today is Natalia Cohen. And with absolutely no rowing experience prior to joining the team, Natalia was part of the first all-female team to row unsupported across the Pacific Ocean. That epic journey was spotlighted in the very special documentary, Losing Sight of Shore, which is now available on Amazon Prime. This is a great chat and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Natalia, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. Thank you so much for making time. I am beyond excited to have you on. As soon as I watched your documentary, uh, Losing Sight of the Shore, I just knew I had to try and get you on. And when you when I messaged you a few months later and you said yes, I was delighted. So thank you so much for making time. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here. And I know that you have got a really just a really cool and rich story. And there's so many layers to it. I mean, we obviously are going to spend some time talking about ocean rowing because, well, it's a big part of your story and I've got a little bit of a geeky fascination with it. But but also there's a there's a load more layers that I really want to get to in the time that we have. So, but let, let's start let's start with a little bit about you. So first of all, your Instagram uh, kind of profile, your Instagram name is Natalia Nomad. And I know that you're, you're, you're in Seattle right now. Um, but that's not necessarily always where you are. So is the, is the nomadic lifestyle something that, is that is, does that describe you well? Is that, is that you? Yeah, I mean, I think I set up that handle um, many, many years ago um, where, when I was living a very nomadic lifestyle. So I think it began really properly in, in the year 2000. Uh, I headed off to begin a life tour leading, so leading adventure tours. And my work was very contractual. And generally speaking, I didn't really spend longer than one year in one place, um, working, leading tours in certain destinations. So I moved a lot and really resonated with that lifestyle and loved exploring new places and immersing myself in different cultures and meeting all of these incredible people and working with wonderful people as well in each destination. I was really fortunate. I began leading tours before because now, generally speaking, most tour leaders will be local from each destination. But when when I began um, in that adventure tour industry, there was a lot of Western tour leaders that were being sent out to each destination. So I got to experience Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Nepal, India, Tibet, um, a lot of South America, Central America, Cuba. And it was this incredible lifestyle. And travel had always been a huge passion of mine anyway. So I, I found this incredible way to combine my passion and work and helping others feel as passionate as I did about the destinations that we were traveling through. So it was, yeah, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I suppose that's where that whole nomadic existence and name came from. Right. I love it. And, and the, I mean, you obviously have this real kind of wanderlust, right? I think that comes across in everything you do. And I look at your website where, did, where does that come from? Does that Were your parents travelled, well-travelled? Yeah, I'm not too sure if it came from my parents. I mean, maybe it, it did indirectly. So I was born in South Africa, 
And I moved to the UK when I was five years old. And so I don't know, maybe you could say that's when my love for travel and adventure first began. But maybe it was because I was uprooted at such an early age and moved, you know, across the world, you know, from summer and African heat to the cold and the dead of winter in the middle of Manchester. Um, you know, so I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, Maybe I didn't ever feel fully at home in the UK. I'm not too sure. I've I've since tried to sit down and, and really self-reflect on on why I do love movement as much as I do. And, and maybe it's simply that. I've always been um, really interested in anything physical and active and dancing and and movement and literally movement. So maybe that's just naturally become part of my life, the, the movement aspect. Was it a big part of your life when you were young as well? I mean, were you very active? Did you, I know there's a dance section on your website, which is something that's growing now. And, you know, did, were you active? Did you play a lot of sport? Did you dance a lot? Did you like to be adventurous? Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't say I was particularly academic at school. I, I just loved all of the, the physical stuff. So I got involved in every sport that was available uh, at school. And the, the ones that I seemed to gravitate towards the most for whatever reason was tennis and swimming. Um, and I think tennis was just the, the literal physicality of it. I loved smacking that little yellow ball and grunting as loud as I could and running around the court. And I, I, I really enjoyed, I, th I think also the mental physical connection that I found, because I, I really noticed that when mentally I wasn't in a particularly positive mindset, my, my tennis was off as well. And then with swimming, I think that was much more of a meditative experience and I, I I just loved being in water and I've always loved being in and around water star sign wise I'm a Pisces so so I have that water affinity anyway and then dancing was something that I I became passionate about from a very young age I began with ballet and modern jazz and then later on in life I moved more into partner dancing salsa tango um a, a little bit of that type of latin america dance and and again i i found that to be almost like my meditation and and a really easy place to to understand flow and being in the moment yeah i, I really love that because i think when you when you talk to people and they've got something like that in their life whether it's whether it's dance or whether it, you know it could be running yeah when it gives them that flow feeling, there's nothing quite like it. It's a very meditative, meditative type of experience. I feel like that about running, which is really ironic because I despised running at school. So, you know, if you go back to like the 70s and 80s and you used to do cross country in your peak, you lived in Manchester. You're showing your so. age now, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But you, it was an awful, horrible, abject experience. And yet old, now I'm older there's nothing I like more in terms of trying to get some time away just to decompress than putting on a pair of running shoes and going running in the woods. And I think that's the closest I get to flow. No, definitely. I, lo I love the idea of running as well, just putting on a pair of shoes and just going. But I think from that, that would, I'd probably say that was probably the biggest negative about doing a lot of one particular type of sport when you're younger. So because of all my tennis, and I really threw myself into tennis, I was playing 
sort of five, six times a week. I, I play it, I played at quite a high level. And the twisting motion of tennis actually really didn't do much for my knees. Uh, my right knee particularly doesn't particularly enjoy running now, unfortunately, because I, I love the idea of running, but my knees just don't. <laughs> they don't like it. Uh, <laughs> That's a shame. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when, as it relates to the running, one of the things that I love, which I think is probably a little bit like you're saying with the dancing, is that uh, one of the things I used to do was I used to just be fixated on, okay, I've got to plan my run. I've got to know where I'm going, know the route. I'm doing a set distance. Whereas now I just run and when, it, when a junction presents itself to me, I just turn left or right. I have no, until that exact moment, I have no idea whether I'm going to go left or right. I never plan my running routes anymore. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I changed. And, but I think that's because of the flow piece that you're talking about with dancing, just being present in the moment and the rest doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and also it's, it's, um, it, sometimes it doesn't really matter what the destination is so much, does it? It's more how, how you're going to experience that journey. And if you feel like you want to turn left, then you just want to turn left. And that might bring you onto a path that you, you never knew was there and you would have an experience there. I mean, that's life. I think it's really important to, to have your goals and to know where you're heading. But it's okay if you meander slightly because you never know where that meander might take you. And And I would say that, most of my life's unexpected, surprising, and incredibly rewarding experiences have have been a slight meander off off the path. Yeah, amen to that. I absolutely love that, and I feel exactly <laughs> the same way. And I think that's why I embrace that that kind of feeling of just getting out and not knowing where I'm going so much. And and I think partly it's also you know, whether it's age or just kind of timing in your life. When you get to a certain point in your life, you realize that you don't have to control everything for life to be perfect. In fact, you know, if you learn to just let things be, you can, you can be really happy and peaceful, right? hundred percent agree. Definitely. And I think you're, you're probably right. It's probably is a mixture of age and life experience, maybe not necessarily age, but life experience and, and timing. I had a really interesting, um, group call. It's this thing called connection feast that I, I do every couple of weeks and they're, they're deep, conversational topics and this one was on timing and I think yeah timing is everything I when I when I look back at my life and and some of the the big aspects so whether it was career opportunities um, or relationships that type of thing it was all 100% down to timing and I I definitely believe that the universe gives us experiences in our lives in the perfect order that we're supposed to have them i really believe that we're going deep really quickly but i love love this because i feel exactly the same way I, i feel like um you know if you open yourself up to possibility the universe will present you with opportunity i know some people listening might groan at that but i genuinely believe it's true ever since i started podcasting uh, which is not not even a year yet i've met so many remarkable people and many of the conversations i've had have already led on to other conversations which there's no way i would ever have had if i hadn't have started the podcast and and i just think that's the universe's way of just presenting you know these opportunities to you and if you're open to them and you're channeled and and kind of ready to receive like amazing things can happen 
Definitely. And, and that's the key, being open to them. Because I think opportunities present themselves to everyone all the time. It's just some people aren't open to those opportunities or there's something that stops you from embracing those opportunities, you know, and that can be many things, you know, I mean, fear, fear is one thing that stops everyone doing everything, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think just having that belief in yourself and being open to your intuition and then embracing that opportunity, once again, that has led me to incredible experiences in life, for sure. I, well, let's talk about, let's talk about some of those. So let's talk about the rowing. First of all, I think you, I feel like we have to start there. And that's obviously where I, I heard your story for the first time. Um, so maybe just start, start with that. Perhaps if you can tell people listening who, who perhaps haven't seen the documentary yet, which I massively encourage them to watch, you know, what was the row? What did it entail? And maybe how did, how did it come about in the first instance? Okay. Well, I think that was a, a series of being open to opportunities. So, I had just finished managing a safari lodge in Tanzania, which was an opportunity that had presented itself and I was open to. I was actually the only female and the only non-local in the team when I first arrived to do that job, uh, which was a huge challenge, but absolutely incredible. And, and anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. But my contract had come to an end. And rather than renewing the contract, um, I decided to go back to Cape Town. So Cape Town had become my base over a few years. And I was in transition and, and deciding what I was going to do next, which is a position that I'm quite used to being in, because most of my work when I began working in the travel industry was contractual. So these contracts would come to an end and then I would decide what I would do next or another contract would present itself or another opportunity would present itself. So I was in Cape Town and I actually um, came across an advert on a website. So I, I don't know if you've heard of Escape the City. Uh, it's a website called Escape the City, and, and quite often there's random opportunities, that uh, volunteer opportunities, paid opportunities, and not that I've ever really worked in the city, so I didn't really need to escape it, but I just always thought there were some interesting things that came up on there. So intermittently I would check out Escape the City, and this one time I saw an advert for this team of women, um, and they were looking for teammates to join them to row across the Pacific. And initially I just thought, wow, you know, that's random. It was something I'd never, ever heard of or thought about. Uh, and I'd never rowed before, so it wasn't anything that was on my radar. And I just thought, wow, that, that's a strange thing to do. And I, I didn't really think anything more of it. And then I would come across friends in Cape Town and they would say, you know, how was your experience? What are you going to do next? Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm going to row across the Pacific. As a joke, I sort of said, I'm going to row across the Pacific. And the more I said it, the more I started thinking about it. And as I mentioned briefly to you earlier, I've always had this love of the ocean. Um, being in and around water is, is I'm very much at home. Um, a year previous to that, I'd actually done an ocean crossing sailing um, from Cabo, Mexico to um, Hawaii. So I was very comfortable um, in the ocean. I'd also just finished two seasons working on super yachts. So being in and around boats, again, was a place that I'd been very comfortable. It happened literally just before managing the Safari Lodge. So that whole timing piece uh, was in there as well. And 
So the only thing was that I really hadn't ever rowed. So I went to a gym, I sat on an erg on a rowing machine, and I, I really enjoyed the motion of it and the movement. I found it quite meditative. And I thought, you know, I don't truly believe that this expedition is going to be about the rowing. I think it's going to be much more of a mental challenge. It's going to be about the team dynamic, working together, um, and that's how I looked at it. And because of my years prior to that, working in the travel industry, most of my work had been in the developing or the emerging world. And I'd always come across people a lot less fortunate than myself because I'm under no illusion that I've lived a very privileged life. Um, you know, these people that were very less fortunate than me, but had this incredible inner strength and the strength of spirit. And, and I thought, you know, I've, I'm, I'm going to need to purposely put myself in an uncomfortable position. If I want to really search deep down within myself to find where that strength of spirit is that I think we all have access to, it's just accessing it and finding it. That is the challenge. And so I thought, you know, this sounds like one of those experiences where I'm going to be so far out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be embracing the unknown in the most extreme way possible. And, and there's something about this that fascinates me. And so that's why I applied. I've always been fascinated by the mind and also, you know, where we push ourselves um, mentally and physically outside of our comfort zone, because every experience I've had in life so far, I've learned and grown the most when I've been the most uncomfortable. So they were sort of all the reasons that drew me to this expedition. And I applied for it, really not thinking in a million years that I would get contacted. And I suppose the rest is history. I ended up getting involved in this expedition. Um, I joined a team eventually that ended up being a team of six women in total. Um, but there was four of us on the boat at any one time. So it was an ocean rowing expedition. It was the first of its kind. We set two world records um, rowing across the Pacific from San Francisco to Cairns in Australia. It was a, a three-stage row. So we had to stop off in Hawaii and Samoa to restock the boat with food and supplies and things like that because we couldn't have done the full journey um, carrying enough supplies. So we had to do those stopovers to do that resupply. Uh, it was a journey that was supposed to take six months and ended up taking nine months in total. Um, so it was altogether 257 days in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, just the four of us on the boat at any one time, we were unsupported. We had support on land, but out there on the ocean, it was just this 29 foot by six foot pink ocean rowing boat called Doris. And it was one of the most unusual and incredible life-changing experiences um, so far. That was that was a perfect summary. That was amazing. <laughs> and there's so many places I want to go with this. I should say, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but for people listening, you know, don't press pause just yet. Listen to the podcast. But when you're done, go go check it out. It is a really remarkable documentary. And and I was hooked from the very first minute. Not not just because I have this kind of geeky fascination with with ocean rowing, but it's a, it's a really well-made documentary and it's really rich. There's some amazing stories. It tells your story and, you know, Laura's and the rest of the team's story really nicely. Um, you, you know, the, the whole kind of 
uh, Doris and the pink bow and just just this incredible journey. And there's some real emotional highs and lows. So I, I really encourage people uh, to listen to it. I think that was one of the beauties of the of the journey was the fact that as team members, we were all so completely different. Um, and it was the fact that we were so different and that diversity that we had within the team that, that ended up being our greatest success. And, and just the fact that we are all unique and and we all have different strengths and it's just knowing what your strengths are and bringing those strengths to, to the table. And the documentary is called Losing Sight of Shore and it's taken from the quotes, you can never cross an ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore, which has such a, a strong meaning for me anyway. In fact, I think Sarah Moshman, who's our producer ty- director of the documentary, she was looking at our website and I'd actually put that quote up on our website and she saw it and she just loved it. And she took the name of the documentary from that, which I just, I, I think encapsulates everything we've been talking about here. It, it's all about, you know, embracing the unknown and those opportunities, um, moving away from the shore. You know, you might not know where you're going or where the shore is or how long it's going to take for you to get there. But it's about just sort of believing and having that confidence and, and, and persevering until you, you see that shore again, really. So it's all about stepping into the unknown. Love it. I I feel like, uh, I feel like we're kindred spirits um, for so many reasons, but so if you go on, I saw that obviously the, the name of the documentary and I know it features on your website as well. If you go on my website, the first thing you'll see on the main page is a quote by T.S. Eliot, which I think is really, is a similar sentiment. And it, and it says this, if you, if you aren't in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? And I, I, <laughs> I absolutely love that expression because I think you do just need to yeah. sometimes jump in with both feet and, um, and have the courage to do that, even though, you know, you, you, you don't know how deep it is. So, and, and the, and the other reason I was smiling so much to all of that, it's just the way that you, the way that you talk about, you know, your affinity for water and this, uh, you know, fortunate lifestyle and, 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 uh, and life that you've led and, and this fascination with, with the ocean, it resonates with me so much. And I keep meeting ocean rowers, not, not deliberately. I just keep ending up bumping into and being introduced to ocean rowers. And I also find myself in my day job now working for a, uh, one of the world's largest recreational boating companies as well. So oh, I think wow. the universe is telling me that I need to spend maybe. Time but uh, we'll maybe get back to that. But you, you touched on something there about the team being so different. And, and I really wanted to, to zoom in on that one because uh, I think it, it comes across a little bit in the documentary that there was quite a lot of effort put into, you know, making sure the team fit, fit well together and would get on well together given how much time you'd spend away. So what was that process like? Yeah, I think I think preparation was a huge part of our expedition. And I mean, I know there's the Talisker Atlantic race that happens every year, which is, is much shorter, essentially. You know, the, the Atlantic is, can be anything between, what, 35 and 60 days, whereas the expedition that we did was, was such a, a long expedition. So we really needed to work on our team dynamic and and make sure that we understood one another. We knew how to bring out the best in one another. We knew what would bring out the worst in each of us. So there was a lot of personality profiling done. We worked very closely with a sports psychologist, um, Keith Goddard. He was amazing. We did a lot of individual work and teamwork. And I would say that the biggest thing was this 
very open and honest dialogue that we initiated within the team from the get-go essentially so we got very used to giving each other feedback constructive feedback all the time we you know we eventually stopped taking it personally and we we actually used those points to to help us grow as individuals um, as leaders in our own right we gave each other different areas of the project to lead on which I think made all of us feel valued within the team, which was very important. And I think we were all very aware of the different strengths that each of us brought and our differences. And, you know, I, I always like to say that I don't think four Natalia's or four um, Laura's or four Emma's would actually have made it successfully across that ocean. We needed the different personalities and we needed that variety because otherwise it yeah it would have been a very boring nine months and I think the fact that we rotated one team member so just to explain because we're a team of six three of us rode the full nine month journey and then the other three team members rotated the four seats on the boat like a relay team so in Hawaii and Samoa we would rotate one of those team members and it almost made the 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 expedition feel like three separate parts in a way three different adventures because we had that change in in energy and team dynamic and me Laura and Emma could repeat our stories again for example if we needed to but it, it just yeah it broke up the journey um because I think a, a lot of things that especially Tony Humphreys who was our onshore support he supported many ocean rowers before, but he'd never really done a row like ours where we had to get back in the boats to then row the next section. You normally you've you've run a, you you row a section and then you're done. You know you don't have to get back in the boat and do it again. And I think having the team dynamic change also helped with that renew of energy to get back in the boat and actually do it all again as well yeah I think it's really interesting as well because the way that you describe that that team dynamic and you know four Natalias wouldn't work and and how people need to interact with each other give each other honest feedback and not not be too sensitive that's kind of very analogous with life isn't it like I mean I, I gotta believe that you came out of that with an entirely different outlook 257 days at, at sea did it did it change your entire outlook on life um there were elements definitely that have changed, but I think for me on a personal level, it was actually more of a a life reaffirming experience. Um, and I, I think a lot of that came through my, my travel, my life in the travel industry. I, I think travel teaches you so much. Um, it teaches you all about having to be adaptable and flexible and dealing with change especially the type of travel that I was doing when you're when you're dealing with mother nature you also have to have this deeper appreciation of change and also that things are in your control and out of your control a lot of the time and that was a big part of ocean rowing is that there was quite a lot of things that were completely out of our control you know we'd we'd chosen the route um, and the direction we were going specifically, like all ocean rowing, it's um, trade wind and current assisted, you know, that, that they're the routes that you will choose. And for, for a number of reasons, one being that it was an El Nino year, we didn't actually get 
as much help with the currents and the winds as we were expecting. And so quite a lot of the time we were fighting against these counter currents. And we, you know, we would have 24 hour periods where we would row as hard as we could and we would actually get pushed backwards, you know, and the, you can imagine how demoralizing that is. But, you know, these were things that were just out of our control. And quite often in life, we spend so much time and energy worrying about things that we just can't control. And, you're never going to be able to control them. So it, it it taught us very early on. We actually had a return to shore, which you can see in the documentary very early on. And, you know, one of the biggest lessons there was that we can actually only control the controllable. So just concentrate on things that you can control and sort of don't worry about the other stuff. And that's been a, a very big life lesson that I've carried with me from the road. Um, especially when a global pandemic hit, you know, COVID, I think, has been uh, a learning experience for everyone. And I never, ever in a million years thought that rowing across the Pacific would prepare me for a global pandemic, which it did. I think <laughs> if I, you know, yeah. if I can spend 257 days in a tiny little boat in the middle of the ocean, I can deal with lockdown, you know. So there were so many similarities between those experiences. And, and a lot of the insights that I gleaned from that Pacific odyssey, I, I used during the last year. For sure. So that's been really useful. But I think, like I said, just a lot of reaffirming things for me came up. Um, I'm, as I've mentioned, I, I like embracing opportunities. I also, I, I love, like, I, people are so important and, and being open and honest is so important. And that's how I've always been. You know, if you're in a work environment and people are doing a good job, then let them know, like, let them know that they're appreciated in in friendships, in relationships, in family environments. You know, if you love people, let them know that you love them. You know, I've always believed in leaving nothing unsaid. And so, you know, a big part of that journey was if something had happened to me, if it was my time, it was my time. You know, that's just how I looked at it. I, I believe that I've lived my life as much as possible with no regrets. And and I think, you know, even COVID, just to bring it back to that, you know, has really just reminded us how fragile life is. And the fact that we do need to embrace all of our moments and and embrace the, the people that you have around you and the experiences that you have and, and, and feel gratitude for what you have. And I think that was another thing out there. You know, we, we had to really make everything look as positive as possible. We had to really work on shifting everything into that positive mindset state and we had to look for things to be thankful for every day you know rather than concentrating on the frustration and the challenges and the negatives that were happening out there we had to really do our best to find daily highlights and and things that were were going well and small successes along the way and and that type of thing and and that's another way that I've I've chosen to to carry on living life is just trying to be grateful for what I've got yeah I absolutely love that I absolutely love it and and I think it's so beautifully put and and absolutely spot on and you know one of the one of the hopes that I have have had right from the start for this podcast um is that messages like that will continue to be shared and that will resonate with listeners and and you know I'm not I've said before I'm not in the business of 
selling adventure. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince people to be adventurous. But what I do believe is that when you push yourself out of your comfort zone uh, and put yourself into difficult situations, you find out how tall you are, you lose sight of the shore. I think you learn how to tackle life like you've just articulated. You learn how to you know, roll with the punches, roll with the waves and to not sweat the small stuff. Um, because, because that is how you get through life. And if, if you don't learn how to do those things then life is a real struggle, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And and I think at the end of the day, you know, what is adventure? Adventure for me, adventure is simply a, a mindset, you know, and you can look at almost everything you do in your life as an adventure if you choose to. And, um, I, I love like one of my favorite questions. I, I love asking people quite deep questions straight away. Um, I was on the dating apps since they began, actually. Um, and I've like pretty much dated my way around the world. But when Bumble first came out, <laughs> which was more um, the woman has to make the first move. So the woman has to sort of ask the question and the leading question. So I would always come up with these random questions to ask people. One of my favorite ones was, what's the last thing you did for the first time? Which is quite cool. So I'm going to ask you that right now, actually, Jay. What's the last thing you did for the first time? Last thing I did for the first time. Well, I actually, um, I tried paddleboarding for the first time last week. Ah, cool. Stand-up paddleboarding. Never tried. Never. Yeah, stand-up oh. paddleboarding. I never tried it before. And I absolutely loved it. I was, I was addicted. And, and literally the week before that, I tried longboarding for the first time and fell in love with that. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you're definitely on the water theme at the moment. Yes, and I think, you know, just doing something that you've never done before is that's an adventure and that will push you out of your comfort zone. So it doesn't have to be these huge, great adventures. It can be really small things, um, but I just think it's that curious mindset, you know, and, and for me, the love I have of doing things that I've never done before. And I think when I look back at the experiences I've embraced in life, it does seem to be that I'm attracted to things that I've never done before. And I think the reason for that is because if you, if you do something that you've never done before, then you can't really have any expectations connected to them. And I think quite often in life we get disappointed because certain things don't, meet up meet meet our expectations do they they fall short of what we're hoping they would be whereas when you do something you've never done you can't have that you go in like childlike wide-eyed curious and you just embrace the experience for what it is with with no prior conceptions or ideas and um so i i i love that yeah yeah i i absolutely i think that's amazing and and you actually said a word there that i was just going to say there's a real childlike quality to that and that, that's how I live my life. I, I'm always excited to try things for the first time. And I may never do them again, or I may discover something that I, I absolutely love and I know that I want to keep doing and to be a part of my life going forward. Um, so I think you're right. And I think we, we have that as kids. We're born that way. You know, again, I, I'm a dad, so I see this, right? I see this with my kids. And, I, and I've got my youngest is coming up on two and my oldest is 14. And you see it happening as they grow up. You see them less and less interested in trying new things. When they're younger, they're just hardwired to want to do everything, to be in every cupboard, to play with everything they see, pick it up, touch it, try it, climb it. And as they get older, for whatever reason, it starts to go away. And I think it's really important for us to, to work at keeping that, right? 
because if you if you approach life even as an adult with that childlike quality i think so many amazing things can happen yeah for sure and i think also when when we get hit with obstacles or challenges if if we have a a, a type of mindset that leads towards that curious mindset in a way when when we're faced with that challenge rather than it overwhelming us we can maybe step back and be like okay well well this is interesting you know this is bringing this up this feeling or this sensation up for me you know how you know why is that happening or or how can I um how can I deal better with this situation I don't know it's just a different way of looking at things isn't it and and sometimes that's all we need is a slightly different perspective on something to help us deal with an obstacle or a challenge or a problem. And, and I think also for the row, a big part of that, um, in fact, probably one of the, the best parts of the row was what's happened after it. Um, I had no preconceived ideas on what would happen after that row. It was very much in the moment. This is going to be a unique experience. I'm going to embrace it as it's happening. So I didn't really think about what would happen afterwards. And and what's happened is that, you know, it was such an incredible experience with these wonderful insights that are completely transferable, as you've already realized, completely transferable to life. And so I, I, I started sharing the story and the transferable insights. And, and, you know, what we say is that we may have crossed our literal Pacific, but everybody has their own Pacific to cross. And that's the thing. Everybody has their own challenges. Everybody's dealing with their own stuff. And, um, I think at the end of the day, no one's really got a clue, have they? You know, we're all muddling our way through and we've just got to deal with challenges when they hit us as best as we can. And I, I completely agree with you. And, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I've talked a lot on this podcast about adventure being really a mindset. It's not about uh, rowing oceans or climbing jungles specifically, although they are amazing adventures. It could just as easily be you know, somebody deciding that they're going to start writing poetry or they're going to start painting for the first time, or they're going to, they're going to, they decided they're going to take up yoga. I mean, it could be, it could be anything. I I mean, for me, if if somebody were to ask me, I've done a lot of ultra events and various challenges and world record, I've got other things coming up this year, but actually probably my biggest adventure today is starting a podcast. Yeah. How interesting. That's, That's probably the biggest adventure I've ever gone on because it was you know, completely out of my comfort zone, something that was entirely new to me. It meant confronting my fears, uh, dealing with imposter syndrome, worrying what other people might think, all of those things that come crashing to the surface, you know. Yeah, and all the unexpected beauty that it's brought, I suppose, you know, meeting sure. random people that you never would have crossed paths with before and, and that type of thing. Yeah, I can imagine. It's been, um, and, and it sounds like the, the row for you was, was, was this, but for me, it's now this, this, this well of energy that I just keep getting to dip into every, you know, every week, and, it, and it's remarkable. I, I, I can't, it's very difficult to articulate, but I get to have conversations every week with I'm not trying to embarrass you but amazing people like you who've done incredible things and I spend my weeks now talking to people outside of my day job 
that just energize me and excite me and 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 what a what a privilege that is yeah and and i think that's it isn't it we we want to feel sort of energized and excited about about life and what's happening and i think that can come in many different ways and you you just need to work out what what you love really i think that's the first step have you heard of ikigai no Ikigai, um, I came across this probably about three or four years ago. It's a Japanese philosophy. Um, and it's, it's a great philosophy and it's a great idea. I wish they taught it in schools, actually. Basically, you ask yourself four questions. Um, what, what are you good at? So what are your strengths? What do you love? What are your passions? Um, what does the world need? And, and then how can you get paid for it? And if you can intersect those four things, that apparently is your ikigai or your reason for being or, you know, the thing that will make you happy in life, essentially. And if you intercept like two of those things, that becomes a profession. You know, another two is a vocation. But all four of those things becomes your ikigai. And I when I look back at everything I've done without even knowing what ikigai was, I suppose it, it was ikigai. Um, and the first question that I would start with is, okay, you know, what are my passions? And that's how I got involved in the travel industry because the passion was travel. So I was like, okay, I love travel. How can I find a way to get paid for it? You know, so it's just sort of figuring out what you can do to in- intersect all of those things and, and create your ikigai, essentially. But I mean, it can, it, again, it can be really simple. I, you know, during lockdown, I've discovered um, the joy of gardening which is something that I'm, I'm not very good at. My mum and my brother have amazing green fingers. They're so good in the garden. And I just, everything, I, me and my dad, everything we touch just dies, unfortunately. And I was like, no, like I, I love the idea of nurturing something and watching it change and grow. And so I, I want to, you know, I want to get better at gardening. So that's like my new little project at the moment. I've got this tiny patch and I'm going to be growing things. And, and again, it's quite curious and experimental, isn't it? You know, some things will work, some things won't work. And, it, and so, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And it's just little things. But I think the first step is just sitting down and working out what you love. You know, what sparks joy for you? I think that that's the the first question people should ask, I think. Yeah, for sure. And and I've so I've heard those questions before. I didn't know that's where 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 they came from. Mm. But but I shared them with my eldest daughter, who's obviously, you know, going into kind of she's in her GCSEs now and she a year or so ago was really unsure what she wanted to do with her life. And I shared those kind of questions. And I think that's the you know, if I think back to my uh, careers uh, advice that I got at school it was unfortunately it was terrible and and nobody ever asked me no nobody ever stopped to ask me you know what makes your heart sing what what is the thing yeah. that makes you feel most happy um, but I, but I do think you're right I think that's a great question to ask children but to, to your point it's a great question to ask adults as well for sure you know I think for a lot of us um, I think for a lot of people listening to the podcast as well they maybe have got stuck into a, a cycle of life that makes them feel like it's too late to change. And part of my hope again with the podcast is just to show people that it's not too late to change. That doesn't always mean, you know, giving up your job and, you know, going off to, to run a sanctuary somewhere, but it might do, it might mean that, but it might also mean starting your side hustle or passion project or, 
taking up gardening um, because that's something you've never been good at, but you really wanted to. And, and I really love that message. It's never too late, is it? I, I think, you know, there's, there's not many things, unless you want to become maybe an elite athlete or something like that. You know, there's nothing really that's age determined or defined. I, I don't think uh, that I'm aware of. Have you ever heard of a guy called David Lemon? No. So he, uh, he's a guy in his late 60s. He might have even been early 70s, but I want to say late 60s, like 67 or something, decided to walk the Zambezi River. Wow. Yeah, ne- never done it before, never done anything. He had no plan. He just went to the river, turned left and kept the river on his right. And he walked the length of the Zambezi ri- River. And I, and I just think that's the, that's the epitome of it's never too late. I mean... I just love Definitely. that story. That's wonderful. And and speaking of walking, I, I know one thing you wanted to touch on uh, was the Camino de Santiago, um, which is a, a a beautiful walk and very accessible to most people within Europe, particularly. Um, so that's um, a walk across northern Spain, which there's many pilgrimage routes Um in the whole of Europe, actually, but one of the most popular ones is called the Camino Frances. That's an 800-kilometer walk across northern Spain. And I, I did that in, I think, 2011 it was. So it was a while ago. And, and interestingly, there were many elements of that long walk that reminded me of the row, like very, very similar elements and insights that came from that. But I met some, I went on my own, and I met some incredible people during that journey. And a lot of them were retired, a lot older because they had more time. So they were doing the full journey. So the full Camino can take um, about 30 days to do. But there were also so many people that were just doing sections of the Camino. So they would meet up with close friends or possibly there was families as well that would come. And every year they would do a section of the Camino and then the next year they would come back and they would start where they left off and they would do another section of the Camino and that it was it was so wonderful to meet these different people from different walks of life that were doing this journey in very different ways as well so I think you know there's not one way that you can do anything is there you can you can make things fit your lifestyle and work for you if you want to for sure I one of one of my guests earlier on in this in this season was a guy called Quinton Lake and he uh, is a photographer, uh, was originally an architect, he's a photographer, and he walked the perimeter of the United Kingdom. Okay. It's like 11,000 kilometers. But he didn't do it all in one go. He would he would go for 30 days at a time and then stop and go back and be with his family and then go again. And I agree. I think you ultimately, you don't have to do it all in one go. My, my wife and I want to do a load of these. I think a lot of people would look around and see things like Camino de Santiago and PCT and Appalachian Trail and southwest coast path there are some amazing routes out there that that you could just start walking now and spend the next 10 years walking them right just a bit at a time yeah for sure yeah I, I agree and i i love walking i mean because because my knees don't like the running so much i do like walking so yeah. i would love to do some some more of the the long walks that are out there definitely yeah well and you've done you've done so much i mean so we've talked about the row we've talked about camino we didn't even get a chance to talk about your silent retreat and and some of the other challenges you've done i wondered how, how are you approaching life now do you do you still kind of 
lust after some big adventures or are you looking more to have experiences now where's, where's your head at what's coming up um i've i suppose i've never been someone that's planned all of these big adventures most of the experiences that i've had have just they've been opportunities that have presented themselves and i've been open to them so once again i'm not necessarily looking for anything but i am very open to any opportunity that comes my way. Um, the last couple of years, or the last five years really since the row, um, I've been sharing the story as I mentioned. So that's been a journey in itself. Essentially, I've had to set up my own company as a, as a speaker. And that's been a wonderful journey. Um, it's had its ups and its downs, a, a huge learning curve. And I love where that's taken me. That's given me an opportunity to actually combine my love for travel. And I think that's it. My love is really for travel as opposed to adventure. So travel is something that I, I will always do. I, I will constantly have a thirst for new places and cultures and experiences. So once the world opens up again, I will definitely be doing some some more travel. But what I've been very fortunate to find is that the speaking engagements have actually taken me internationally as well. I've had some incredible experiences doing talks in the Azores, for example, which is a beautiful island off of Portugal, Portuguese island. Um, Brazil, um, I've been to near Seattle actually here. I, I did a talk for this amazing guy who ran this, which you should check out actually. It's called the, um, what's it called now? The... 7048 so he came up with this um, idea for a short expedition because quite a lot of the expeditions are longer and they're not as accessible for people so he wanted to create this short expedition so it was 48 hours and you had to go 70 miles and it started in Tacoma which is near Seattle and went up um, up the coast a little bit. And it was a water-based expedition. You could do anything as long as it was human-powered. So there were these, there was rowers, there were stand-up paddle boarders, there was like, sail, like little sailing boats. There was like a mixture of everything. And it basically linked to this other big expedition, which is called, um, oh, come on, memory. Uh, it's the Race to Alaska which is a much bigger event that happens every year. It's called the Race to Alaska. Um, and that the, the 7048 actually linked on to the Race to Alaska. And so I got to meet these incredible water lovers as well, like water expedition lovers. Um, yeah, I, I think just like you, you mentioned, doing the podcast for you has been so unique because it's allowed you to meet incredible people. Doing the talks has been the same for me. It's been not only a humbling experience, but um, a fascinating one because one, not only have I got to meet people from walks of life that I never would have met before, but two, what's fascinating is that we, we're all essentially looking for the same sources of inspiration in life. You know, we all, we all want to live life as best as we can we all want to improve our our mindset and and live more positively and show gratitude and work together and you know the the story that i've shared no matter the country or the culture that i've shared it with we're, we're all essentially the same um which has been a, a beautiful experience to, to have as well 
And a couple of years ago, I met someone very randomly. It was all about timing. So I'm actually just enjoying an adventure of love at the moment. So that that's a, an adventure that I'm going on right now. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Oh, um, so let me, final question before, before I uh, let you go. I feel like I've taken too much of your time already, but this has just been such a fun conversation. I really love your your mindset and your philosophy you have a um, you know great spirit and I love the way that you're so open to what the universe is sending your way I think that's a, a really positive way to live I think people listening uh, are often kind of listening maybe they're in the car maybe they're out running or walking doing other things but they're they're, they're considering how they can start to live more adventurously and I feel like this is even more so now in a global pandemic where we've all felt a bit kind of stuck indoors and wanting to get out and see the world. What might be your advice to people listening uh, in terms of how do they go out and perhaps live a bit more adventurously? Be open. I think just be open to what's around you. Um, I mean, I know we've all been living in literally bubbles for the last year. And I think it's going to be quite challenging for us to open up again but what I'm hoping is that we will all open up even more deeply than we did before because you know even hugging someone is going to be quite strange I think initially we're we're so used to not even making that much eye contact and and sort of moving away from people because we we need to be socially distanced and, and and all that kind of thing and my hope is that when we do start working towards a a more normalized world again that um we do connect a lot deeper possibly than we did before Uh, i think there's been a lot of self-reflection that's happened over the last year for for everybody a lot of really thinking about what's important and it's been the simple things hasn't it that people have been grateful for health family friends really that type of thing nature Um, i would just say get out into nature as much as you can because there's always so much magic that that being immersed in nature can give you it can energize you and then connect to everyone that's around you i think connection is is the the strongest piece of advice i can give and it's connecting not only to people that are around you connecting to the environment that you're in but also connecting to yourself so just having that self-awareness and understanding of what's motivating you, what's driving you, what sparks joy for you. So connect. That maybe will be my my one piece of advice. Just, yeah, embrace the connection. Perfect. I love it. And where can can people follow you, find you online? Um, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media um, because I like being in the moment rather than capturing the moment that much. But I, I love Instagram because it's, predominantly sort of photographical and I love photography and capturing moments so probably Instagram uh Natalia Nomad and and then also yeah my website and I love I would love people to reach out and connect if you want because I love people and connecting to new people so I would say Instagram LinkedIn uh, and then just on my website which is um www.nataliacohen.co.uk. Natalia, this has been amazing. So much fun. Thank you so much for sharing your story, uh, which is which is incredible. And so, so much learnings and so much great advice there. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you so much. Me too. It's been great chatting today. Thank you so much. 
I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. You can find Natalia on Instagram at Natalia Nomad or via her website nataliacohen.co.uk. Thank you as always for your continued support. It really means the world to me that so many of you are taking the time to listen, share and of course review the podcast. That's it from me today. I'll be back soon with another amazing guest. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy and remember to live adventurously. Adventurously.